How are we doing? Thumbs ups. If uh, if you're like me, um, I believe strongly that ragweed is evidence of the fall, um, and that fall is coming. See see what um. I did there. I'm Isaac. Um, I lead over you know uh, some of the worship songs with a couple other folk here at Freshwater, and love for you to just uh, stand up and you know sing some praises this morning with us. Samuel's going to lead our first song, Good and Gracious King. But the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious king. I will give to you my burdens as you give to me your strength. Come and fill me with your spirit As I sing to you this praise You deserve the greater glory Overcome I lift my voice To the King in need of nothing Empty-handed, I rejoice. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome with joy, I sing. By your love, I am accepted. Your good and gracious King. grace that you would see me as your child, as your friend, safe, secure in you forever. I pour out my praise again. You deserve the greater glory. Overcome, I lift my voice To the King in need of nothing Empty-handed, I rejoice You deserve the greater glory Overcome with joy, I sing by your love I am accepted 
On his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the justice satisfied 
to look on him and pardon me to look on him and pardon me hallelujah hallelujah praise the one risen son Spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. On Him Himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by His blood, my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son of God. Hallelujah. just the voices hallelujah hallelujah praise the one risen son of god amen Stand up, stand up, stand up, all you dreamers, hands up, hands up, hands up, all believers, take up your cross, carry it on, all that you do. 
thank you for your son that you did the initial work Jesus you died on the cross you rose again that we might have a relationship with you God I just ask that you would continue 
to wake up your people, God. Make us aware of your work in our lives. Help us to be a part of that work, Lord Jesus, not to be content with just the initial change, God, that you saved us and you called us yours and you made us yours, but God, that we would wake up as a people, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus, that you would give us the confidence and the joy that walking in relationship with you and being obedient to you brings us joy in life. And um, yeah, Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would be with JT as he brings the word this morning and um, speaks what you have laid on his heart, God. Open our hearts to be receiving of you, receiving of the words and um, convict us where we need conviction, Jesus. Help us to praise you in our lives and action. And We're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you love us, that you've called us yours, God, and that that's all that we need. And we pray. Amen. All right, church, go ahead and take your seats. And um, uh, if there's anyone here who, who doesn't know me, my name is Brandon, one of the pastors, elders here. And uh, I'm going to take this time. I know I'm not normally up here at this this part of uh, our service, but uh, I want to share a little bit with you uh, for those who, who may not know at all or may not know very many details uh, about uh, Preston and, and Lydia Tate in our church uh, part of our life group, um, do discipleship with, um, very close in our lives. Uh, they were expecting a baby. They have brought that baby, Ellen, a girl, into the world. Uh, but there have been some difficulties along the way, um, some unforeseen difficulties. And, and Ellen's having a little bit of trouble. And uh, she was born here in, in Springfield at Mercy, but has since uh, been taken to St. Louis Children's Hospital. Uh, which is an excellent place for her to be. Uh, we know that from experience. But um, yeah, Ellen's having some some difficulties. Um, but the the good news is, uh, in in light of of some of the the harder moments that have taken place, where things didn't look so great, uh, we've been in constant contact with Preston and Lydia. And she is stable and seems to be improving, but slowly. Um, President Lydia do have family there with them. Um, they have a place to stay now. Uh, and uh, some, some of you uh, have already responded in, in providing support with them. Um, but I wanted to take this time just to inform you, if you didn't know, uh, that, that this is taking place. And this is a, a part of our church family. Whether you know them well or not, uh, they, they're, they're, they're faithful and they, they love this church. And so by extension, they love you and, and we love them. And so uh, I want to take some time just to, to pray for them. Um, they're they're weary. They're tired, uh, understandably so. Uh, the report we got this morning was was good. That, um, like as I said, Ellen Ellen has been very stable and progress is being made. It's it's just really slow. Um, but Preston and Lydia finally were able to get a, a really good night's rest, and they feel um, refreshed this morning. I think was their word, and uh, so. Uh, so I was, I'm happy to hear that. So um, I'll say one last thing. If, if you in any way, if you have questions um, 
or, or want to know maybe how specifically you can help in a tangible way, if you would just, um, I mean, you can you can reach out to, to, to either uh, JT or myself as pastors, but Cassie is in constant contact with Lydia. Um, I'm in pretty steady contact with, with Preston, so I would just say get in touch with one of the, the two of us, um, and we can tell you uh, how you might best be able to help. Obviously, pray, um, and which is what we're going to do now. So if you'll join me, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we come to you and we are thankful, Lord, that you are a big God, that you are all-knowing and, Father, all-competent and capable of, of taking care of any need that we have. And so we come to you now, Lord, asking for you um, to just really make yourself known, make your presence felt. Uh, with Preston and Lydia, I know that they have shared, that they have, they have sensed that, that uh, the, the, the words of encouragement and the prayers that they have received, uh, the tangible uh, physical means of help that the church has provided, they, they feel all of those things. They don't feel alone in this. Uh, and for that, uh, we are so grateful, Lord, that um, a people that uh, can come together under the, the banner of your name is a beautiful thing. And so I just, I ask now, Father, that as the one who knit Ellen together in the womb, the one who knows our bodies better than any, um, Father, you as the great physician, our, our request, our desire is that you would bring um, healing and, and restoration to Ellen's body, that you would allow her body to do what you've designed it to do that you would give Preston and Lydia encouragement and rest, that you would give them a sense of hope in you. Lord, even now as they share words with us, um, I see you being glorified, that, that ultimately they want, um, they want you to be glorified in all of this. They trust you and your will. But Father, we just... Uh, at least I, I selfishly want to ask that you will uh, just move mountains and, and perform, uh, Lord, what only you can perform. And if you need to just leave doctors baffled as to how um, Ellen took such a sharp turn into recovery, um, I'm okay with that. But Lord, we trust you in this. We know that your will is best. We know that you're, com you're, you're, you're competent and capable to handle these things, and we trust it uh, in your hands, Lord. We love you. We ask uh, that you just help us to continue to be a, a, a body that, that surrounds Preston and Lydia, to support them, to encourage them, to love on them, to let them know that they most certainly are not alone. And Father, as the, that same body, I pray that you be with us now as we, we read and hear um, the preaching of your word. Open our hearts and our minds to receive it, Lord. Make us uh, a people that desire um, for our lives to be led by you. We love you and we give you praise and we ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. How's it going? Good. It's good to see you. Hey, Tom. 
Tom's there. Um, hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you are here today. Um, if we didn't meet before the service, please find me after the service. I'd love to talk with you, meet with you, um, answer any questions that you might have. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You're going to be hearing that for a while, aren't you? Right? If you're, if you're kind of new, we've started our series on John, a series that will probably last at least a year. I, don't, I haven't lined it all out. We've got it We've got it lined out through next May, um, but I think it's going to last at, at least a year, maybe a little bit longer. And so just, just keep it marked in your Bibles, all right? Like don't ever remove the mark. Just, just leave it there all the time because we're going to be in John for a, a long, long time. All right, so for those of you who are married, maybe those who are on their way to getting married, um, when you were dating your spouse, your, your now spouse, did, did you feel like you knew them pretty well when you were dating them? No? Trent's like, no, I, I don't know. I didn't know anything. I was just lucky to be around, right? Now, um, we feel like we know our spouse pretty well, especially when we're younger. Like if we're dating someone, um, we think we know everything. We think we know people really well. But you find out, like, I, I didn't know him quite as well as I did. What, what, but what about like when you got engaged? By the time you got engaged, did you, did you know your spouse, spouse, your spouse really, really well? I think most of us would probably say mostly yes. But you know what? I do a lot of premarital counseling, and, and it seems that most people, when they come in and do premarital counseling, that they think they know their, their future spouse really, really well. And I'll be honest, most of them come in and think they pretty much got the marriage thing figured out. Not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them I did premarital counseling with this in there. I'm, I'm definitely not talking about you, right? But um, most people think they have like, this whole marriage thing kind, kind of figured out, that they know their spouse just oh so well. They've, they've got it figured out. But what happens when you get married? There's some, there's some, already, I just said, all I said was, what happens when you get married? I heard, I heard some people laughing and smiling and shaking their heads, right? But when, when you get married, you, you find out way more than you thought you would ever know. You, you start to find out about that person things that you never even wanted to find out. Like, you might find out that they, that they fart in their sleep. You didn't know that about them. You didn't, you didn't sign on for that, right? That they're snoring in the middle of the night like a chainsaw and they're waking you up. Um, not, this definitely doesn't happen in my house where, where my spouse snores so loud sometimes that she wakes herself up. That never happens in my house. Um, you find out that, that for some reason, after brushing their teeth, they leave the toothpaste on the counter. Don't even, don't put it away, but don't even bother putting the lid back on the toothpaste. It's just laying there. Like, what, what is happening right now? Right? You didn't realize before you got married that it was going to drive you insane that your spouse decided to leave the butter on the counter instead of putting the butter into the refrigerator, and you had no idea that that was going to drive you absolutely insane. Right, look, so that's somebody's, somebody's, that's actually a story I've heard. By the way, um, none of these were stories about my wife in reality. I'm not that stupid. You know, I'm smarter than that. I've been married long enough not to tell stories about my wife up here, right? I'm not that big of an idiot. But when you get married, you realize there, there was way more to know about this person than I ever thought. And, and some of those things are cute. Some of those things are annoying. And, and some of those things are really deep things, deep things about the person that you thought you knew that you didn't really understand before you got married. But over the years, right, you grow in your knowledge. You go a deeper knowledge of who that person is. You just, you just know them more, don't you? Now, what about those of us that have been married for at least close to 20 plus years or more? Do you know your spouse more than you did at year one? How about year 10? How about year 20? But of course we do. 
Just when I think I know the deepest parts of my wife, just when I think I've got her kind of figured out, and she's got, she's got me figured out, there's something that I'll figure out kind of new about her or a deeper, it's more, more than new, a deeper understanding of who she is and how she loves the Lord and how she loves people and, and who she is in the deepest parts of her. And I discover those things and I grow in loving her and those things and my love for her and her love for me grows. It continues to grow. It continues to get deeper. At least that's how it's supposed to work, isn't it? I know all marriages don't work that way, but that's what marriage is supposed to be, is discovering each other over the years and the, dec- and the decades. Well, church, today we're going to be in week two of our series on John. And I, I think what John's going to do today is he's just going to completely reveal his hand. Right? He's going to tell us exactly what he wants to accomplish in this gospel. We don't have to wonder about it, so I'm just going to spoil it for you right now, right? Um, he wants us to know God. We've already spoiled it. Right? That's what he wants. He, he wants us to know God. Now, now keep in mind, um, although John wrote this book to be very evangelistic, like the guy, the guy who wrote this book, the Gospel of John, he wrote it to be evangelistic. Yes, and amen. He wanted the lost to read it, the lost to get saved, the lost to come and know Jesus. But, but my contention is that he wrote it primarily to believers. Believers who would take this message to the lost, and believers he wanted to know Christ more. Those who have given their life to Christ, or to say it in another way, those are who are already married to Christ. Because aren't we called the bride of Christ? So he's talking to those who are already married to Christ. And John desperately wants us to believe. Those that are married to Christ, he wants us to believe and to know Christ more. Not just know about him, not just know salvation, but know Christ more. To never settle for what we knew about Christ in year one or year five or year 10 or year 30 after our salvation. If you didn't get to make it to Mary Newberg's Celebration of Life Memorial on Friday, one of the things I got to celebrate is that, at, at, is that her husband, Jerome, gave me a few of her journals and devotionals, and right up until the point that Mary went home to be with the Lord, she was still seeking the Lord. She was still growing. She was still talking about how, even in her, her state of not being able to leave the house, how can I serve the Lord more faithfully? How can I know him more deeply? That is, Mary understood something. Knowing the Lord is a lifelong pursuit, and we pursue it all the way till the day that we are with our Savior in heaven when we will fully know him as we will be fully known. This is what John wants. This is what he wants us to grasp. He wants us to know God more and more. And that's what we're going to be trying to understand, the depth of that, exactly what John is trying to tell us. How do we know him more? We're going to begin to understand what he's trying to tell us today. And I I say today we're just going to begin understanding this because our passage today, we're, we're going to cover 18 verses. 18. You know, I don't normally do this when I'm wearing a book like this, a New Testament book. We're going to cover 18 verses that we could spend weeks, even months on. And I know I say things like that sometimes, but if you've ever read the beginning of John and you know the first 18 verses, you know that we could spend a long, long time on them, and that whole time would be fruitful and it would be good. These 18 verses are, stay with me, I mean it, are some of my favorite 18 verses in the Bible. Don't laugh. Russ, don't laugh. I say that often, but I, I think the beginning of John is one of the most beautiful things ever written. Just, it's poetic and it's beautiful and the way that John lays this out. But the reason I say we could spend so long on these 18 verses is that almost every major theme that John is going to teach us about in this book is laid out in these verses. It's like a blueprint for the rest of the book. And so, yes, the main theme that John wants us to know, the main thing that he talked about in, at the end of John was that we would know and believe. 
that we would know and believe. But underneath that main theme, there's tons of other themes, and John's going to lay out all those other themes in, in this gospel. Underneath that theme, we're going to see all of them. All, just in these 18 verses, you know, let me just give them to you real quick. This is not even all of them. Themes like how Jesus is the Word of God, how Jesus is the light, that He is life, that He overcomes darkness, that He is the Son, that He is the Messiah, that He overcomes the world, that He is the glory of God, that He is the image of God, that He is the fullness of God, that He is the fulfillment of the law, and that He, is, that he in Himself makes God known. All today. You ready? It's like a fire hose coming. You ready for it? Listen, we can't, we won't try to dive deeply into all of those things today. We'll just introduce them. But for some of you, that you're disappointed in that. Listen, we're going to spend the rest of this book discovering and diving deeply into those themes. As I said, this is just an introduction. This is just a blueprint for where John wants us to go through the rest of this book. And I say, John, it's really the, where God wants us to go. The Holy Spirit wants us to go but use John to lay all this out for us. So the, the place where we're going to really land today, because it's where, where John lands, is what does it mean, particularly for those who believe, that have already been married to their Savior, what does it mean to know God? To know God. So let's try to discover that today. Read with me in John, not, where's TJ? Not First John. The Gospel of John, <laughs> chapter 1, and we're going to read verses one through five. That gets confusing, right? We're in John one, not one John. Anyway, um, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. Tell me that's not beautiful, how that's written. I just love it, the poetry, I just love it. And so last week we really, if you missed it, we really dove into this name for Christ, the Word, right? It's not lowercase w, but, but uppercase w, the Word. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you can go back to our podcast and listen to last week, but l let me just say this, just, just think about it this way. In the beginning, God spoke, and by His Word, all things were created, all things, including us. In the Old Testament, we see again and again people in just impossible, desperate situations. The Jewish people are going against countries and, and kingdoms and, and kings that are so, more, so much more powerful than them, you can't even fathom it. They're in impossible situations where they're going to die. And God speaks, and by his word, they are saved. They are redeemed. They are brought back from the brink, and the impossible happens. We see all throughout Scripture that people are on the brink of death, sometimes even after death, and then God speaks, and by his word, they are rescued from the grave. God's word expresses who God is, and it expresses his will on this earth. And so Christ is given the name of the word of God, and it's a, it's a perfect thing because Jesus is the perfect refle reflection. He is the perfect image of who God is and of his divine will and of God's self-expression. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus Christ, the word, the word of God. Not only that, but John makes it very clear that, that Jesus was with God when all things were created. That not only that was he there, but all things were created for Jesus, through Jesus, and there was nothing in creation, in all of creation that was made, that was not made through and in Jesus Christ. John wants every reader of his gospel to understand right from the start, right from the beginning, exactly who Jesus Christ is. 
Now, that seems obvious here, but you realize that's really unique to the other Gospels, isn't it? If you haven't read the other Gospels recently, man, it's much more hidden who exactly Jesus Christ is. We read it now absolutely knowing, but if you're reading the other Gospels, not really knowing what they were going to say, it's revealed along the way who Jesus Christ is. Right? He's revealed a little bit at a time because through Jesus' life, he didn't want to reveal things too quickly because they weren't ready to hear it and his time for the cross had not come yet. So it's revealed slowly. Well, John's writing this at towards the end of his life after the, the church has been established and he wants people right up from the front to know exactly who Jesus Christ is. He is God. He was with God and he was there at the beginning because all things remained in him and through him. John's making it very clear that Jesus is not just the Messiah, which he is, but he is God and creator of all, that he is the I am. Which Jesus being the I am is another major theme of John that we'll see as we walk through this. So then after making that crystal clear, he introduces what will be major themes through the rest of this book, that Jesus is light, that Jesus is life, and that Jesus overcomes the darkness. Light, life, and he overcomes the darkness. Now, as I said at the beginning, we could spend a whole lot of time here. But the rest of the gospel is going to lay this out for us. But let me just give you a glimpse. The reason I say I don't want to cover it all here, John says that Jesus is life, uses that word life. The word life in this context is used 30 more times to the rest of the gospel. 32 times. And, and in reference in this context, in reference to eternal life, the words eternal life are used 17 more times. John is going to talk about this again and again, so I don't want to spoil everything. But when he says life, what he means is new life in Christ, a redeemed life, a resurrected life by Jesus Christ's resurrected life. It means being born again in Christ right now, but it also refers to the life that is promised us with Christ for an eternity. Now, that, that, that life that they're talking about here, that John is talking about here, that life in Jesus Christ, is possible because Jesus is our light. Light in, in John represents Jesus' revelation. It represents him illuminating our hearts and minds so that we can truly understand who he is, right? So we're not blind to who he is anymore. That we, He's a rep, give, given us a revelation. He's illuminated who he is. And that's what leads us. Him being the light is what leads us to having faith and having salvation. Jesus, the thing about this way, Jesus is basically the lighthouse that leads us out of the darkness, that leads us out of danger into our true home, into our real home, into our safe harbor in him. And then finally, because Jesus is our life, and because we can believe in him and have salvation because he is our light, the last major theme in this is that he leads us out of darkness. And we're going to see this a lot throughout John. He, he weighs things against each other. But this one, he's, he's weighing light versus dark, right? And no surprise here, what do you think darkness represents? Sin. It represents sin. It represents sin. It represents darkness. It represents evil. It represents worldliness. It represents depravity. It represents all, all the things our enemy is and everything our God is not. So with that understanding, right, you may have already understood that, but I, like with that understanding, with that context, read verses 4 and 5 with me one more time, and just try to really hear it for what it says. Have your eyes open to what this is telling us. John 1 verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, church. 
I, I want this to be a church, and I think it is for the most part, where we can just be honest. We can just be open. We can just be, be real, that we don't come in and people ask us how we're doing, and we always just say, oh, things are good. I'm doing good, or I'm well, if people want to speak better English. I'm well. And then smile, do the church smile, and just move on. Do you want to be that kind of church? I don't want to be that kind of church. You know why? Because life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. Hey, we got babies everywhere. Like, how hard is the first six months after you have a baby? And that's if you don't have major issues going on. It's, it's hard, right? And that's, that's out of blessing, the blessing of a new family, of a new baby, right? It's so good. It's so wonderful. But those six months are hard. We're not even talking about, like, real suffering. Life, even in the good things, can be hard. Not only is life hard, but temptation is ever-present. Evil is real. Evil things happen. Bad things happen. And the world is constantly calling to our hearts and our minds, distracting us on who God is and who we are in Him. It's constant all the time, isn't it? And sometimes you feel it really strong, that pull to the world, and sometimes you don't feel it quite as strong, but it's always there. Our enemy's always against us. But what if we truly believed, I mean believed, just what these two verses were saying? What if we didn't look at them just as, as saying something nice about Jesus Christ in a poetic way, but we held on, especially in verse 5, we held on to the promise that is promising us like it's an actual promise, like God actually keeps his word, that God has actually already accomplished this. These are the type of verses that if you really look into what they're saying and you dive deeply in, it could be like two verses that could be life verses. That Christ is and can be our life. Life in Christ is a spirit-filled life illuminated by who he is, giving us light so that we can have hope and peace and strength and joy and purpose and faithfulness and goodness in our lives. This is what God's promising. This is what he's done. What if we truly believed and lived in that truth? What if we truly believe that Christ is our light, and in that not only our salvation, but the light in our life that burns away all the darkness because he's already overcome it? So often we live our lives like we're just trying to do the right thing and just trying to be good enough and just trying to resist sin and just trying to be just holy enough, but what if we lived our lives like that victory was already won? He's already overcome it. What if we believe that he's already burned away the power of sin in our lives? That yes, we can give into the flesh, but that we actually are people of spirit. We actually are people of light. We actually are people with a resurrected life. We already have life in Christ. We're not striving for life in Christ. We have it. It's been given. It's been done. And yes, we strive. Yes, we, we have to strive to be more holy. But it's not so that we can actually become more holy. It's that, that Christ has already given us his holiness. It's already in us. It's already been given to us. What if we believed it? That we operate from victory in Christ for victory in this life. God wants you to know him. And John wants you to understand because those things are already ours. Light and life and victory. But there's even more. It's better than that. There's more to knowing and believing in your Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants to give you more. Keep reading in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, 
but came to bear witness about the light. Now, we could spend some time here, but really our, our passage for next week is really all about John the Baptist and his ministry and how it led to Jesus. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want you to realize when it's taught, if you're new to the Bible especially, it can be confusing here. The guy, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, who had the brother James, who was the son of Zebedee, who was one of Jesus' disciples, it's not the John that's referring to here. That John came. Who, who is the writer of the Gospel of John referring to when he says John? John the Baptist. Right? We can't confuse those two Johns because it can get confusing. They both were pretty influential. And so the reason he's bringing it up here, this is really important because what John is trying to say, us, say to us is that Jesus wasn't a good prophet. He wasn't a good man. He was God the divine coming into human history, entering human history as a man. And who led the way to God coming and entering into human history as a man? John the Baptist did. And that's an important thing, because in the Old Testament, God promised that a prophet would come, that, that one would come that would lead the way, and once, once he led the way, the Messiah was come, would come. And that's important, because John the Baptist did come. He did proclaim that Christ would come. He did baptize in the name of God, and then when Jesus came to start his ministry, who baptized Jesus? John. It was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry on earth. And that's so important. You know why? Because it shows God's faithfulness. God made, made us promise after promise after promise, and John was one of those promises. One will come out of the wilderness and will lead the way for the Messiah to come, and that has been done. It's just more evidence of who Jesus is, and it's more evidence to us that Jesus, that God is faithful. But even though God is faithful, always faithful to us, doesn't mean God's people are always faithful to him. Keep reading in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now read that again. Think about the implications of that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just read verse 10 one more time. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here John doesn't just call Jesus light this time. He calls him true light. In the original language, this was written in Greek originally, in the original Greek, this word true light gives the impression of a genuine or an ultimate light. I like that word, the, the ultimate light. Meaning all other lights that came before this, all other lights that illuminated who God is, all other lights that pointed towards who God is, were, were, were just pointing towards the true source of illumination. We're just pointing forward to the true light. Let me tell you why this, this fact that Jesus is our true light and that he came to be our true light is so amazing and also heartbreaking. Everything about Jesus coming and being our light is heartbreaking. I think it is heartbreaking in some ways. Let me, let me start with the good. In Exodus... If you're here through our Exodus series, we got to see all kinds of things pointing forward, all kinds of light pointing forward to Jesus, didn't we? We got to see the, the man that came from heaven, right? 
But who does John, who will John later say is the bread of life? Jesus Christ. So even the manna from heaven and the bread in the temple were pointing forward. They were lights, but they're pointing forward to the true bread, the true manna, the true bread of life, Jesus Christ. We see the sacrifices start, start, really start to begin in Exodus. We see them before them, but in Exodus, the law starts to be laid out. We see sacrifices to atone for sin, but that's just a light pointing to the true light, isn't it? To Jesus Christ, who is our true and ultimate sacrifice. We even see men like Moses, who was like, for, for, from that point forward, Moses was like the representation of what a prophet's supposed to be. All the prophets that came after him kind of pointed back to Moses as the prophet. We see the priests that start to intercede for us on behalf of God to be an intercessor between God and man. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate prophet, isn't he? He's ultimately the one who carries the words of God fully and completely with all authority. He is our intercessor. He is our high priest between God and man. All of these things were pointing forward to the true light. They were all bringing light, but they were pointing forward to the true light. And when you see that, really for the first time, I know a lot of us have, have seen this as we walk through Exodus, but I don't even know if you remember that time when you first discovered, oh my goodness, things in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, even numbers, they're all pointing forward to Jesus Christ. They're all lights, light posts along the way leading to like the sun, uh, S-U-N sun and S-O-N sun. They're all pointing towards the true light. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you first discover that. That the Old Testament is not something that, that people used to read and we're New Testament Christians, but we are Bible Christians and it's all pointing to one thing, the redemption of us all through Jesus Christ and the coming redemption at the end. That's an amazing thing when you discover that. When you can see that, when you can see how faithful God has been throughout all time. So good. God himself stepping into history. But the truth was, even though that Jesus was the answer to everything in the Old Testament, Everything that was promised. Everything his people had longed for. When he actually stepped into history, they, they couldn't accept him. His own people, the Jewish people. Hear me, church. The promises came through the Jews. The prophecies came through the Jews. Jesus Christ came through the Jewish line. Their own Savior. Our Savior, but their Savior, they missed it. Not all of them, but lots of them rejected him. That's the tragedy thing about that's the tragic thing about the true light coming. His own people reject him. Because the thing about light is it exposes the darkness. And so many of the Jews and their leaders had their darkness exposed when Jesus Christ literally stepped into history for them. When God stepped into history for them. Yet when their darkness was exposed, instead of turning to the light, they embraced their darkness all the more. They embraced it so completely and so fully because it's what they wanted, it's what they knew, that when their own Messiah came to them, one of the first things they started doing when he was preaching is plotting to kill him. And then ultimately did. Think about how dark that really is. How, how deeply rooted the darkness has to be when God himself comes to you and you so fully reject it, you're willing to kill to hold on to it. Church, the darkness is sometimes so subtle, so insidious, so enticing that it can creep into our lives a little, little by little, 
and we just kept letting it creep in. We kept not re- we keep not rejecting it. We keep not repenting and letting the light shine in on the darkness so that we can walk away from it. We keep just letting it stay there and be a part of us that we end up go- sometimes going further than we ever thought we could go, becoming a person we never thought we could be, and it just takes over. So much so that even when God does amazing things around us, through us, for us, we can't even see those blessings. You know why? Because they didn't come the way that we wanted them to, that we expected them to, or we prayed for them to. So they somehow must not be good. Is that, is that not true? Because is that not what happened to the Jews? Do you think they were all just terrible people? We can look back on the Jews that rejected Jesus and just think they were all terrible people. Like, terrible people by the world standards, they weren't. They were religious. They were the religious people. They were the leaders. Yet the darkness creeped in and they didn't reject it. They weren't willing to, to repent of it. There's even, there's even cases in the New Testament where these Pharisees are saying, I, I, basically, I know that you're sent from God, but you don't know what I'm going to have to give up. Is that... Is that not still our lives? I know what he wants, but God, you don't know what I have to give up? We may not say that out loud. We may not say that to someone else, but look at your life. Don't you operate that way sometimes? Don't I operate that way sometimes? It's insidious. It's subtle. It's devastating. And sometimes we're blind to it. So my question today is, where might you be letting the darkness creep into your life? I think I said this at Victory Mission this week when I was doing the devotion. Most of us don't give into it by all of a sudden jumping into worshiping Satan and getting involved in the dark arts. Hey, some do. But that's not how most of us get caught. It's subtle. It's one step at a time, allowing things that we know are not from the Lord, things that are darkness, just kind of sit in our life. Pursue those things just a little bit. Let them in just a little bit. And they begin to take over our hearts and our souls and our minds. Church, we have to keep our eyes on the true life. Our true life, but also the true light. We have to stay focused. Listen, we have to stay focused. We have to make sure. We have to make sure that our worship and our minds and our hearts and our lives are being fully illuminated in His, in his truth. And that's coming to church on Sundays and hearing sermons. But that's, that's why you need to be in the Word. That's why you need to be in discipleship relationships. It's why you need to be in life groups. It's why you need to be talking to other people. It's why you need to surround your mind and your heart with good things of the light. Because the darkness just wants to take over and destroy you. If not destroy you, make you worthless for the kingdom of God. The enemy doesn't have, man, we believe, we believe in this church. If you truly are saved, if you truly have given your life to Christ and made him Lord, then it's a done deal. Then it's over. And I know that every person in, the, in, in this room fully agrees with that. You kind of struggle with that. But as pastors, that's what we believe. Jesus Christ does not lose his sheep. John 6, we're getting there. We'll get there. That God will hold on to us. But hey, if Satan can make us ineffective for the kingdom, worthless for the sake of the kingdom, and our lives aren't bearing fruit, it's almost like we're not saved anyway. I realize it's not the same, right? But he just wants to make us ineffective so more people don't come to Christ. That fruit for his kingdom is not born. That Jesus Christ, like the kingdom of God does not come to earth through us. Then he's winning. Is he winning in your life, church? Is he winning in your life in some ways? 
keeping you ineffective because of your sin, because of your insecurities, because of your fears, because of your worry, because of your busyness, because of your jobs. Listen, I love you because of your family. With a million babies at this church and 141 kids. Is that right now, Beth? 141 kids? Our families are going to become an idol faster than anything else. We say we love God the most, but how easy is it to really place our kids as the most important thing and everything in our lives revives around, is centered around our children and their needs and their wants and us being awesome parents. That's why it's so insidious, right? Even the best things, our marriages and our families, the best things God has given us, Satan can just twist them and make them ultimate things, true, the most true things in our lives, instead of making Jesus the ultimate thing, the most true thing in our lives, he starts to win. So where is there darkness hanging on in your life? Where are there things that are, you know aren't from the Lord that are starting to become permanent? And where can you repent and turn away? Because that's all repent means, doesn't it? Turn away. Turn away from the darkness to the light. Where do you need to turn to the light, church? Be honest. Because your Savior is gracious and full of mercy and wants to forgive and restore and give you what true life is. Not a life enslaved to those things or giving your life to the, the, the things of darkness, but things of light. He wants you to walk in light because he loves you. And so some, even in Jesus' time, even the Jews, even his people rejected him, but others received him. Others believed. They believed in his name. And if you have believed in his name, if you have embraced the true light, then you are not just saved, but you are called a child of God. And we got to walk in the truth of that. I think early in my preaching, I did not do a good enough job. I talked about our failures and our sin and how worthless we can be and all that can be absolutely true and is true before we know Christ and that we're children of wrath. But I didn't talk enough about how we are children of God, not just saved, but redeemed as saints, as children, as adopted, as his. That's what this is saying. This is who this is saying you are that you are his, that you are children, that you are of the light, freed from the darkness so that you might walk in freedom. Don't let the darkness seep in, church. We walk in the light because you have been made a child of God by the true light, Jesus Christ. Man, it almost feels like we need to wrap up right there. The ready to wrap up and just send us out. But John's got more for us. God's got better things for us. Read in verse 14. In verse 14, we'll read through the end of our passage today. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has made him known. Again, if you were here with us through Exodus, through our series on Exodus, do you remember how the whole book culminated in the last chapter? Do you remember how the whole book kind of came to fruition? It was with God's presence. 
God's glory filling the tabernacle and God's presence, his glory being among his people once again. God having his place among his people once again. And in, the, in Exodus, I, I tried to paint this picture that, of how big of a deal this was. How big of a deal that it was that God had his dwelling place with man to be with them once again. Right? It represented God's presence being restored to his people after it was lost in the garden because of sin. It, re- it represented the gap between us and God slowly being bridged. This is what verse 14 is pointing to. This is what is being fulfilled here. This is the genuine. This is the true. This is the ultimate thing being fulfilled here. Jesus is our true tabernacle. Jesus is our true temple. Jesus is not just where God's presence dwells on earth any longer, but he is quite literally God who came to walk with us on earth to be with us so that we can engage with him. Aaron, I forgot to ask her permission. Mom will talk about you. I've said that a lot lately. I've got to ask people's permission more often. He's not going to care. Aaron and I were talking at Life Group this week. And we were talking about this, this very thing, right? And he said something like this. This may not be word for word, Aaron, but this is really close. He said, you know what I've been thinking about? Is that when John looked into the eyes of Jesus, he wasn't just seeing a godly man. But he was looking into the very eyes of God. And that's amazing. Do we think about that? Those men were looking into the eyes of God. We read stories and we hear this truth and most of us have heard it before, but God, like the I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end came and in the only way he could come without utterly destroying us by the awesomeness of his glory and the purity of his holiness and the weakness of a body into the brokenness of this world so that his people could look into the eyes of God and know him. Like, not know about him, know him. Oh, it's amazing that that's what God wants for us to know him that way. 700 years before Christ's ministry began, the prophet prophet Jeremiah spoke the words of God. And in Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34, Jeremiah said this on behalf of God. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, you see this, know the Lord, capital K, know the Lord, Like as in a marriage type of sense, like as an intimately, deeply connected one spirit. Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Listen, the old covenant through Moses gave us the law. Right? And listen, the, the law was God's grace to his people. Uh, sometimes I think we look back on the Old Testament law and see it in a negative light. It's not negative. The law helped them know how to properly worship God. It helped them to know who their God is. It helped them to understand his character. And it helped them to understand how to walk in a life, live a life that was pleasing to God. It was God's grace to them. It showed them how not to walk in darkness, but walk in holiness. And that is a good thing. That is God's grace. 
But, G- but Jeremiah is talking about a new day. He's talking about a new covenant, not the old covenant, not the Old Testament through Moses, but a new covenant when grace, a new grace, a better grace would come. Grace upon grace is what this is talking about because referring to Moses and Jesus. God has given us grace upon grace, but there's a better grace coming, a day when the law would, not, would actually be written on our hearts by God himself so that we could know God. You see, this, this is so that we could know God in a different way. Not just know about God through his law, but know God because the law is going to be written on our hearts. A day when, when sin would no longer be covered by sacrifices, but a day when God would remove our sin and it would be no more, where we would go from guilty to not guilty in Jesus Christ. A day when we wouldn't know about our God, but we would truly know our God. Whether that sounds weird to you or not, it's the same type of language that's described as marriage, about knowing your spouse. Knowing your spouse in the deepest way possible is a reflection of God's love for us as we are his bride. This is intimate. This is deep. This is, we, are, we are described in Scripture as being one spirit with Christ. Like, again, that's just like madness. That that's who our God, that's what our God has done. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us, that we can be one spirit with Jesus Christ. But that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. It's talking about a day that we will know God. But how can we truly know God if we can't see him? How can we truly know God in this way that we're talking about, this marriage type of way, if we can't come into his presence because his glory would absolutely destroy us, his holiness would destroy us because we're sinful? We know the answer to that, right, church? Because God provided the way across the gap between his holiness and our sinfulness. Verse 18 says, no one has seen God, meaning no one has experienced his infinite glory. Listen, Exodus used language like Moses talked to God face to face, and he saw a reflection of God's glory as he passed by, but that's not, the rest of the Old Testament makes it clear. It doesn't mean that that Moses was literally in the full presence of God. He got a little afterglow of God's radiance, which literally made his face glow crazy. He radiated with God's glory. We see Isaiah get a glimpse of God on his throne. But do you remember in Isaiah 6 what happened when Isaiah just glimpsed God on his throne? He fell to the ground and said, I am coming undone. Like he was felt like he was being torn apart, just seeing God's glory at a distance, God on his throne. No, no one has ever truly seen God in all his glory and all his holiness and all his magnificence. Except for the one who is at the Father's side. John, once again, is naming Jesus as God. You know what he says? He says, no one has seen God, semicolon, but the only God has. He refers to God twice. God the Father, God the Son. Jesus, he's naming Jesus as God once again. And he, Jesus is the only one who has truly, fully seen who God is because he is him, in himself God. This phrase, made known, it says that he has made God known. This phrase in the Greek, Brandon, don't kill me. He, he's way, way better in Greek than I am, but this Greek word, make known, is exegesatio. Exegesatio, that's the best I can do. I think I'm close. Close? Brandon's like, I'm close. Exegesatio. It's where we get the English word. Can you guess? What English word do you think comes from exegesatio? Exegesis. You ever heard that word? 
It's kind of a Bible word. It's kind of a Bible circle word. And I don't normally try to speak in big words to try to impress anybody, but it's important here. Exegesis means to explain or interpret. That's what we do here at Freshwater. We don't preach good, we don't preach feel good sermons here about seven ways to feel better about your life, right? We preach the word of God. What I do is Brandon and I and the other teachers exegete the text. My job is to explain and interpret the text on our behalf so that we can all grow together. This is what the word exegesato satio means. Do you know what else it means? To narrate. This word means to explain, to interpret, to narrate, to make known. So remember at the beginning I said John, John, of course he wants unbelievers to read this. Of course he wants the gospel of John to, to save the lost, to be a part of saving the lost through the Holy Spirit. Of course he wants believers to, to use this book and know this book so they can lead others to Jesus Christ. But I, again, I think it was mainly written to believers so that they could take the truth of what's in this to the lost, but also so that they may know God more. So that they may be encouraged by it, so they might know who their Lord is and submit everything to him. And as a leader of Christ's church for a very long time, and as a pastor who in his old age lovingly calls his people little children, you see that in 1 John, he calls them little children because he has been their father in the faith. John doesn't want his fellow believers to just know that they are saved, but that, that, that their God wants to intimately, deeply, profoundly know him. And hear me, church. Christ is our exegesis for who God is. He is our explanation for what God is like. He is our interpreter for what God says. He is our narrator for all that God, for all of God's story through all of history, his story of redemption that is going to run through eternity. He is our interpreter. He is our explainer. He is our narrator. What, we're, what we will see through the rest of the gospel is that to know God is to experience his glory. To know God is to experience his peace. To know God is to experience his joy, his fullness, his goodness, and his steadfast love. I don't think any other gospel makes it clear about what God wants for you. That he wants you to have his joy. Not just, not joy, not worldly joy, not happiness, but Christ's joy. He wants you to have Holy Spirit joy. He wants you not just to have a full life, but his fullness. Not to just have peace, but to have his supernatural peace. That's what God wants for you. Praise God that we have a God that loves us so much that he wants these things for us, not just worshipers. Because he could just ask for worshipers, couldn't he? He's God. And look at all, most other major religions in the world. They're just trying to gather worshipers and they're trying to do nice things for their God so that their God might do nice things for them. No, God says, I've already done it. It's already been done. The darkness has been burned away. You have new life. You're now my children. So experience my peace, my hope, my joy, my fullness. Know me and you will be fully known. You will know yourself the way you've never known yourself by knowing me. And then when we walk in that, when we know God more, when we start to experience who he is, Peter, the Apostle Peter, says that we'll walk in the divine nature, the divine power that God has placed in us through the Holy Spirit. Those are crazy words from, first, or from Second Peter, that God's divine nature, that God's divine 
power is within us, church. That is how we truly walk out of the darkness into the light, because the divine has been placed inside of us through the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Christ. So through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John wants us to know and believe. More than that, he wants us to look into the eyes of God. He wants us to look into the eyes of Jesus and know him. Know him more than we did for some of you 30 years ago. Or some of you 10 years ago. Or some of you five years ago. Or some of you just, just a year ago or maybe even months ago when you got saved. Church, I pray that throughout this series we will lay down all of our darkness, all of our worldliness, and be more and more transformed by knowing our God through, who, through the one who is the radiance of his glory and the perfect reflection of his fullness, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you today. God, it, sh it should be enough for us simply that you are God and that we are not, that you've called us to obedience and that's what we should do. We should just obey. Yet we see the truths in your word. We see the, wor we see the words inspired by your spirit in the gospel of John. And for those of us in this room that, that truly do know you, we know it in our hearts that you want more for us than that. Help us to never, God, help us to never grow tired of that truth. That you want us to know you more. And so God, today my, my prayer is simple for us. Help us to know you more in this life. And help the next life to give us hope right now. The fact that we are going to fully know you and be with you for an eternity. A God that loves us this much, that wants us this much, that calls us his children. That someday we're going to fully know you in all of your pleasures and goodness and holiness forevermore. And we'll have everything we'll ever need for an eternity. That's what you want for us, that you want to spend eternity with us. God, help us to live in the hope of that, the joy of that, that we get to go home. We get to go home and be with Mary someday, home where her body is new, her body is restored, and she's, she's with you telling stories of your faithfulness. Help us to long for that day, hope for that day. Help it to give us power right now in this life strength in this life, to not only live in the light, not in the darkness, but in the light, but to also be willing to tell other people about this hope, to tell other people about you, Jesus, the true light, to call other people out of the darkness into your light. God, it's so hard to make our lives centered around you and you alone, above all other things, above our work, above our worries, our cares, our busyness, even our children. So God, we just pray for your help today. We pray for your help today so that we may know and believe. Jesus, we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Church, we'll go ahead and stand. We'll worship together. Worship in song together. If you need prayer, if you need to talk, prayer is another way to worship, right? So if you want to worship God through prayer or just talk or you need advice or whatever, I'll be over there at the benches. I think Tracy's heading over there too. So if you need any prayer, please come join us over there. Otherwise, let's, let's sing to the Lord together.
Christmas tree in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to welcome us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, He the perfect Son of God. In his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save a hellbound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we see. Behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold. Bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when he comes. Oh, come. 
saying, come, see what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born. unspoken come taste of his perfect love oh come guilty and hiding ones there is no need to run see what your God has done Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you, Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born. He's the lamb that was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. He's the lamb that was given. Slain for our pardon, his promise is peace for those who believe. So come, though you have nothing, come, he is the offering. Come, see what your God has given. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you, Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born. God, thank you um, for everything that you've done for us today, Lord, that you will continue to be with us, 
on our journey forward. Lord, that you are more powerful than anything that we face every day. Lord, I pray that we can just rely on you wholly and fully, Lord, and that you will take precedent in our lives. The most um, important thing is to glorify you and advance your truth, Lord, because it ultimately um, saves us from ourselves and the selfishness that is within, Lord, that we can draw on you and your truth to guide us. We praise you for it. We love you. Amen. Amen. All right, church, have a quick seat. I'll share some announcements with you. As always, if you would like, you can go to freshwatersgf.com to find out all events, announcements, ministries, life groups, all of that. Uh, freshwatersgf.com. Go there, check it out. Hey, today after this service, we have a new members meeting. So if uh, you are interested in just finding out more about who we are as a church and you're not signed up for that, I think that's probably okay. We'll make room for you for sure. Uh, it is following uh, the service, as I said, will be in uh, what, what was the youth room. Um, and uh, then we will have the second Sunday uh, new members class next Sunday after the service. JT's leading the one today. I'll be leading the class next Sunday. Uh, this Wednesday, uh, for youth grades 6 through 12, we will be having Dive Youth at the Freshwater House. That will start at 6.15. So uh, if you have uh, students that are your children or someone else's children, I don't know, um, uh, 6th through 12th grade, they can come to Dive Youth. I kind of butchered that, but I think you get the idea. So, uh, Church at the Park will be coming up on October the 3rd. That's the first Sunday of the month, so we're going to do Church at the Park again, and we are going to have baptisms again. Amen. So, uh, be, uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm sure there'll be some more information that goes out in terms of, uh, uh, what we will ask of, of you, like we did last time with, with life groups, um, bringing sides and salads and all that kind of thing. I think that's all I have by way of announcements. Um, if you desire to give uh, your tithe and offering in a physical form, we have a basket back there on a chair by the steps. You can just drop it in that basket on your way out, and we will gather it up, or you can do it on the website, or if you have the church app. Does anybody not have the church app yet? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll find out who you are anyways. Get the church app. It's so great. It's so easy. Everything's there. Calendars there. Life groups are there. Communication. I mean, it's just fabulous. So if you don't have it, please get it. Um, uh, you can give of your, your tithe and offering there as well. Um, or like I said, the website. Uh, go ahead and stand and I will pray and we will be dismissed. Father God in heaven, Lord, we come to you again with grateful hearts, thankful for who you are, your grace that you have uh, poured out upon us, Lord, that we did not deserve. Uh, we are thankful for our King, our Savior, our Messiah in your Son, Jesus Christ, that he came as God in the flesh uh, to earth uh, to live a perfect, sinless life, to offer up a perfect sacrifice on account of our sins. Lord, we are grateful. Help us to live our lives this week and every day of our life, Lord, with your help, um, in light of that reality. 
um, that, that we have been bought and, and paid for by the blood of Christ, and that is a great and glorious thing. And Father, we love you for that. And I ask uh, as we go out into the world, Lord, that you would help us to be uh, the voice, the hands, the feet um, of Jesus Christ to, to those that, that we encounter and interact with, Lord. And uh, lastly, Lord, I just ask uh, that in all of it, you would be glorified and that your grace and peace would go with us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, have a great week. I feel